Hey, what's up, guys? You're listening to the Muscle Minds Podcast with Dr. Scott Stevenson. This is probably our most advanced program here on Advices Radio and the Think Big Media Network. Today is no exception. Dr. Scott is on fire, and you guys were on fire, too. We take listener questions from the live feed, and we've got a bunch of good ones. For starters, we discuss grinding out lunges and taking them to failure. After that, uh, can you maintain strength on bands alone? Then our big topic for the day probably is the effect of carbohydrates on growth hormone. That's exogenous growth. We also talk about, of course, insulin, blood sugar, and a little bit of talk about uh, GH-releasing peptides. And then from there, uh, a new user is wondering what's the safest cycle he can take. And then finally, we talk about niacin and milk thistle both. All of this right now, guys, here on Muscle Minds. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Dr. Scott Stevenson. Our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com as well as getazoth.com and new affiliate supplement needs. You can find links and codes in our descriptions uh, wherever you're finding the show right now. Dr. Scott, what's up, man? How you doing? That's Dr. Dean's. Yes. yes. I'm a big believer in his stuff, man. He's got good some good choice. products. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of a kind of a sharp guy. He knows a few things. Does a thing or two. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's making the rounds on the podcast too, from what I've seen. He was yeah. on Who Ads. Yes. Of course, he's had him on a couple times. Yep. Um, where else was was he on another one? Anyway, he's well known in the UK, obviously. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to see. Bright dude good for opinion. sure. We have another one with him that uh, about immune system uh, boosting. So. Uh, Got a, I had a couple of them in the can that I was waiting to release. So right, we had right the on. yeah we put the one up. But anyway, we've got a bunch of stuff here today. Um, I think we we're going to start with lunges. We had a uh, one of our longtime mm. Facebook followers. Uh, he's from the UK. He just competed in like do they call it like I don't think they call it Masters Nationals. It was like the British. What's the British national? The big British show. What's that show that they do every year? I just I think we just call it the Brits. Is it? Yeah. British Nationals. Okay. Uh, yeah. But he had a sure. goal of, of getting top five there, which he which he did. PCA so. at the PCA or? I don't know. Whatever like the big like national show is. Yeah. Yeah. They're changing. I think PCA is becoming bigger and bigger there now, but it's okay. been it's been in flux as of late. Okay. So uh, yeah. Gazzy John, he has a he has a question here. He says, uh, so I- anybody who watched um, Blood, Sweat and Gear, this ties in. We discussed the topic. Uh, squats versus leg press. And uh, from here, he says, um, walking lunges, where is it best to put them in your leg workout? Uh, And are they to be used to failure or can they still be used to benefit if stopped short? Um, It's just one of those moves I love, but I'm never sure where best to put it or how to use it. I don't think I have ever seen anyone go to complete failure on them like they have with other exercises. And now this ties in to our episode with Dr. with uh, with Skip on on um, blood, sweat, and gear because he had said uh, squats you're more likely to fail uh, in your lungs. You know you're you're more likely to get winded before your legs are going to fail. And he kind of said or squats? with with squats and and. Squat. Gazzy John here said that he kind of feels the same way with his with his lunges. He said that he mm. feels like his lungs are burning and he's winded long. You know, that happens to him first before the muscle actually fails. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, he had kind of a long spiel there. So the, the first thing is what, what 
this is I'm trying not to sound one failed on walking lunges where they just where they literally fall on the ground like if you, if you fail then that's a good point fucked. like let's 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 see you'll see if we can tear a ligament you know at least one maybe two yeah yeah let's get the acl maybe the mcl or maybe it's just the pcls you know depends on what, how you do this so what do you do with the other leg after you fail on the one like you literally have fallen down you know yeah so you can't and you're also if you fail on one leg like you can't fail on the other because you just can't get up anymore yeah, yeah. if you're walking. So there's just kind of a practical reason. That makes sense. I've got some, uh, yeah. I mean, I just literally, it's funny that he's asked this because I just did Romanian split squats um, a couple days ago in the gym. Okay. But those are not walking lunges. But I did those as a rest pause, mm. like a DC-style rest pause, and I go to failure. But I, when I go to failure, I just literally, um, I get to the bottom of the rep, and I just, like, I'm at, the, at the ground, I just let go. This is on a really cool. It's actually Aaron Stern's machine that she's left at one of the powerhouse gyms here in town. No kidding. So it's a kind of a. a it's got a. Yeah, it's a unilateral machine. You load um, the two lever arms. The handles can be adjusted angularly or raise it up and down. So I just put it all the way at the bottom, and it makes for a really good range of motion. Yeah. So you could. I just. I had uh, hundred pounds on each side. So you know whatever that would be. You know probably a little more than. Well, more than 200, maybe 225 pounds total, something like that. So it's pretty good for one leg. Okay. Um, and when I'm done, I fail. I just, that's it. I just, I just let go and I stand up because I've got enough left to stand up. Yeah. Once I've, once I've dropped the weight, now I've just got, you know, my body weight left so I can get up. And then I just, then I like got back in a squat position. I stood back up with it and went with the other leg and went to failure there. And then on one, there's sometimes I've, I've just literally stopped and kind of fallen down. But I've got the weight in my hands, okay. You know, so I can do that. If you're thinking about walking lunges with the barbell, like Ronnie used to do, yeah. I mean, he never went to failure. He he just eventually got where it was not safe anymore, and then he just dropped the weight. Yeah, like a badass. Yeah, just, he was. Boom! Just bailed on it. Right. Yeah, they, they treated those weights at at, uh, at at the gym there with such kind care. Yeah. At Metroplex. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that didn't matter. But you're not going to go to failure on walking lunges. Yeah. So the other thing, what I have to say, but the thing is you can use them just going using progressive overload and you're just stopping, you know, a rep or two shy of getting dangerous. So you go to the same sort of reps in reserve. Yeah. Let's say it's your distance or the number of steps. And then, you know, you try to get further into that with, you know, being at least mindful of the fact that. If you do fail, you're pretty much screwed unless unless you have an easy way to drop it. If you got dumbbells, it's much easier or kettlebells. Sure. That. Um, but if you progress from 50-pound dumbbells to 60 to 70 to 80 to 90, et cetera, you still got progressive overload. So you don't have to go to failure in order to progressive overload. And like a lot of people don't really go to failure anyway. <laughs> yeah. Almost anything they do. I mean, and this. That's just kind of the truth of the matter. Failure is true momentary muscular failure is a, is a pretty rare thing to see in gyms. Hmm. Yeah. If you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see that and you're like that, like that person's like a grinder, like a true, mo- we've talked about this before, a true m- momentary muscular failure point where it's the muscle, not the nervous system or the psyche, or you just decide, like, I need to bail because it's not safe anymore, mm-hmm. means that the rep speed is going to slow down, you know, and you have, like, you'll very much, very likely have a grinder rep where, like, it's just slowing to a complete stop, and then, boom, you're done. Mm-hmm. 
So that's just how muscle, that's what it looks like when you look at fatigue curves with, with muscle when it's, when you're doing tests like that where people can just keep on pushing, like a, on a dynamometer where they set the speed and you're doing like a knee extension, it goes up and down, up, and you just have people push as hard as they can. Mm-hmm. You watch the force, there's just kind of an exponential decay. Yeah. So that's, you see the same sort of thing in rep speed near the end of a set. Obviously, you don't start start the set going as fast as you can at the beginning, but eventually, and there have been some studies now looking into like bar velocity or movement velocity as a surrogate um, way of auto-regulating hmm. the effort. So instead of yeah. using your subjective um, uh, perception of reps and reserve, you could actually, if you've got the equipment, you could measure, huh. and it's actually becoming available now. Um, it's got him Lee Bell, who's done a little bit of this work. He's very interested in this. He's in the UK. He was part of the group TRA Performance with, with Paul, um, I'm like, I want to say Paul Scarborough, but um, like on Paul's last name, but those two are the guys who put me up over in Scotland when I did my talk last year. Okay. Paul, Paul Rimmer. And so Lee's looked into this a good bit. It's huh. sort of one of its areas. So measuring so anyway, how slow, how much it slows down. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then you can, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And you, and you've seen this, like when someone's like, you know, like, it's like, okay, come on, go, go, keep going. Yeah, you know, of course. It's like, you know, then eventually they just, it comes to a stop. You know that they didn't just, but when you see people like the first rep looks just about like the last rep. Yeah. Okay. You have some left there. Obviously you didn't, there was no struggle at the end. Right. So, so you could come to the same reps and reserve or to the point where you feel like, you know, now I'm no longer like standing up with, as I'm doing these walking lunges in a way that's safe. Yeah. And if the load goes up or you just add more steps, let's say you start with, you know, 10 steps aside and then you work to 12 and 15 and increase the load, you're back to 10, blah, blah, blah. You can progressively overload just in the same way. You're just not going to failure. Yeah. I think that was part of his question, was whether you can get something out of those. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and does he need to go to complete failure, I guess? is You know, that was, I guess, yeah, part of it. And it sounds like you're telling yeah. us that no. And now that you mention it, I mean, it does seem so logical. Yeah, you guess, I guess, what does failure mean? Falling over on a, <laughs> on a lunge? Right. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that just getting crushed but, but it, i mean it literally could mean you know that you 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 take that step and literally you can't stand up hmm. but what he's talking about is that people will they'll gas out first so yeah. to speak yeah. before they'll have muscular failure and this is the thing people ask me about this in the context of uh, fortitude training a good bit because one of the general rules there is that the reps would be continuous um, so that you don't have those discontinuous sets like a widow maker mm-hmm. where you're like, you're accumulating those really, we talked about this a couple podcasts ago, I think where you're accumulating those really tough reps that are just like destroy your nervous system. Cause it's just an all out, you know, stay under the bar as long as you can get a couple reps, wait, 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 get another rep, wait, 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 wait. And those reps are all very, very close to failure. Yeah. If you keep the set continuous, then you avoid that. You can still go to a failure point, and what's happening there is you're you're not allowing the recovery between reps that then allows you to get those extra reps. Yeah. Instead, if you're maintaining tension, you're maintaining metabolic stress because you're disallowing blood flow to clear away those metabolites. Yeah. As long as you got the contraction going, like this is was Joe Weider's continuous tension principle or something like that. And there's something to say for that. So here's here's the thing that's interesting about um, 
walking lunges versus just doing them like one leg at a time, like in a Smith machine or with a barbell in a rack, is that um, so you're releasing the metabolic stress when you go from one leg to the other. So it's it's literally like be like doing a leg press where you do a rep, go down and do a rep, and then you rest. Yeah. Go down and do a rep and you rest. Rep and you well you can you're going to get more reps that way. Sure. Of course. Sure. And the thing is, though, but you're when you're when you're walking uh, during lunging, um, there's no un, unlike a leg press where you're actually not doing anything do, during those periods. When you when one leg is resting and the other one is lifting. Yeah. So you've got metabolic stress being released in one leg while the other leg's working, and vice versa. You go back and forth, but you've got continuous energy demand. So what this means is that muscularly you can recover in one leg versus the other, but you've got all this energy demand because you're doing deep lunges with the weight on your back or in your hands, yeah. and that then shifts the, the locus of fatigue, the thing that keeps you from keep on, keeping on going, to your cardiovascular system. Hmm. So that's, what, that's really the phenomenon of, in general of, of uh, gassing out, is that your cardiovascular system becomes the limiter. Yeah, and like and like kind of an interesting side point. Um, it was God. It was like back in the '60s, I think. Um, they used to do, and they still still do. They're doing a lot more than this now in the resistance training arena. But um, like the Scandinavians, especially, were known. Um, people like Per Tesh and Bank Saltine, who I'm going to talk about here. A lot of the guys over there. There's they did a lot of awesome research. Phenomenal researchers there. The Karolinska Institute in Sweden was where a lot of that happened. And Bank Saltine, they figured out that if you look at when they do like a isolated like knee extension, like one leg at a time, they look at max blood flow mm-hmm. relative to the amount of muscle that's engaged. You can compare that to when someone's doing like running hmm. and they go all the way to VO2 max. They're at their cardiovascular power maximal output. They can't their VO2 can't go any higher. They can't they can't do any more. Or you do this on a cycling cyclergometer is where they typically would do it. But you look at blood flow at VO2 max, and it's only about one third of what the muscle can actually handle hmm. when you compare it to like that unilateral leg exercise. So if you just got the quad and you're not using the glutes or the hamstrings or the calves, or you're not you're not running, your arms aren't engaged, your cardiovascular system can deliver a lot of blood. It's only got a small amount of muscle to, to send that to. Yeah. So the muscle can handle a lot of blood flow hmm. when it's just a small amount of muscle. But then when you add both legs, the hamstrings, the glutes, you're actually running now. Yeah. That cardiovascular capacity has to be delivered to all those other muscles in the body, in the legs, in this case, if you're running, your arms. Yeah. Um, even if you're cycling, you're still supporting yourself. So then you have a cardiovascular limitation. I see. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. That makes yeah. sense why I, why I get short on breath squatting, you know, real quick compared, to, compared yeah. to another right. exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something to say. This is one, one rationale for doing some kind of cardio for some people because then you strengthen the cardiovascular system. At least, relatively speaking, your RPE during squats isn't going to be as high. Yeah. So you're going to be less likely. If you are giving out for psychological reasons, you're going to, be, you're going to get more reps because it's not going to seem as hard. Yeah. Because you're more cardiovascularly fit, so yeah. 
the 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 extent to which that's the limiter becomes less and you can maybe get more reps. I've gone through phases training my my Tom Platts phases where I'm like I'm going to do 30 reps on all my squats, you know. Right. And right. and um and, and like I'm just going to take this weight and I'm going to keep getting more. I'm going to keep getting more and I'll work up. I've worked up in the past to 25 30 reps with a weight that I initially could only do like 12 with, you know. And that's right. it's brutal. But then when I've gotten there then I'm like, all right, now I'm going to switch to heavier. You know, I, I, a lot of times what I've done is in the past, I would do that. And then the next time I would do heavier. And then the next time I do higher up, the next time I do heavier. Mm. Um, but I found doing that more often, I had conditioned my cardio system so that when I did do heavier, I could get a lot closer to failing in the weight. My lungs felt fine. You know, I get to 10 reps and it's my legs that are now failing. The cardio system's still fine, you know. That, that's exactly what I see happens with plug, 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 fortitude training. Okay, yeah. Because because you're doing those pump sets, those high rep sets. Oh, yeah. That are 20 to 30, and then the heavier sets are less likely to be limited by gassing out because you've done that. And but then you've done those. You're getting stronger on those heavier sets, and then when you go to the lighter stuff, it's like oh, this is this feels light. Yeah. Relatively speaking, so like those two like. They play off one another. You develop muscle endurance and cardiovascular capacity with those higher rep sets. Hmm. I think that's and, part of what I'm lacking right now. I, if we talk about that yeah. later, I'll, I'll okay. bring that up. But yeah, I think I'm getting some some flags are going off right now in my head or, or waving. Right. Yeah. yeah, let's keep that. So, but back to the lunging. Yeah. The thing is, is that you're using like one. You, you got all. You're supporting the weight and with your upper body, and that actually is going to require some energy output because you're using a substantial amount of weight. I mean, I don't know if. I don't know if people would do lunges with like 100-pound dumbbells in their hands. People obviously do, or Romanian split squats, but that's just holding that there. You know, that's that's like picking up like almost two and a quarter and just mm. holding it there. Gazzy John would and, do that. He's a hardcore guy. I know he is. He's old school. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're, those are brutal. They're very hard, but like with the walking lunges, though, now you're shifting. You've got continuous energy output, so the cardiovascular system is engaged, and you're letting the muscle rest between reps. So as you keep on going, and this was his, his observation, is you, you do one leg after the other, the legs are recovering, but as the other leg's working to some degree, mm. you're still kind of walking, but your cardiovascular system is still going and it's supporting the energy demand, at least in terms of oxygen supply and blood flow, et cetera, um, of both legs. Hmm. So eventually that becomes an issue and you can end up gassing out before the muscles reach failure. Hmm. Okay. But but if you do like a like a, a lunge with one leg at a time, you're not resting between those reps. Mm, yeah. So you can so now you've got the metabolic stress that accumulates as long as you maintain tension. Yeah. And you're going to be able to go to failure where the failure is a function of the muscle fatigue, not the cardiovascular system so much. So that's that's what I what I found. That's why I, I like I prefer to do them that way. Like, I mean, a lot of gyms don't want you outside walking around lunging. Yeah. You know? Or you could do I guess a little walk through the gym would be you know that person that has to watch out for. Yeah. But, Nofi Powerhouse has like a straight track area, mm -hmm. so you can uh, you like with five lanes, so people are you know doing stuff up and down those those all sorts of weird CrossFitty yep. type things that I would never do. But yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So in, in a stable place, like like in a you know a standing a standing lunge, then or in a in a, a Smith or whatever. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the whole trick is like, huh. 
I mean, if you like imagine like just take this like another step, like some people aren't doing like um, like clean and jerks yeah. for muscle growth. Like you're not doing like trying to do clean and jerk for, you know, sets of 12 to 15. Yeah. That's like kind of a whole body exercise, but you can end up gassing out pretty fast on that. And it doesn't rely, you're eventually you're going to fatigue, but you know, the fatigue isn't localized necessarily in any particular muscle. It might, in fact, you've got a whole technique issue involved there, Yeah. which probably makes it a very unsafe thing to do. That's it's a big criticism of CrossFit. Mm, but yeah, so yeah, so cr- CrossFit is, is, is very different in bodybuilding in that it's so much cardiovascularly oriented. Mm. It's a lot of muscular tension as well, but you're, you're just not, you're just not focusing the limiter of fatigue on the muscle, which is the idea of bodybuilding, um, versus, um, cr- CrossFit and you're getting a much more cardiovascular kind of locus of fatigue. The thing that's uh, as, a, as a total aside is like, you look at the best CrossFitters and they look like bodybuilders and that's because they're genetically gifted in the way that they're going to look like bodybuilders and that helps them with CrossFit. That's not, yeah. CrossFit hasn't brought them to that point. To some, to some degree, CrossFit will make you look great. Yeah. Because you can, you can just, you can grow, you can, people can gain muscle and lose body fat just from jogging. They go from <laughs> sedentary and they start jogging. Yeah. That was demonstrated like in the 60s, like even in college age students, they would huh. just start them on a, like a, a jogging class for their PE course in okay. college. Yeah. And they, they like literally the gains in fat free mass and loss in fat. I've seen these studies. They're about the same compared to weight training and, and running. Yeah. Cause you're going from zero, nothing to doing something fairly stressful and you're going to get some muscle growth out of that. So hmm. CrossFit is not going to be, make a lot of people, nearly as many people. I would love to see this. It's not going to happen. Probably look, let's just look, look at, six months of CrossFit versus six months of focused bodybuilding training. And the thing about CrossFit, which makes it work so well, is that people train really friggin' hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're challenged. It's, They've got it's, a challenge. It's friggin' beyond, it's like ridiculously challenging. That's yeah. kind of the whole thing is like, you know, if you can handle this, then there's some badassery to that without a doubt. I will yeah. not in, in any way, like, God, back in the day, like even aerobics classes, I, I, there's a point in time when I would go do aerobics class and I'd be like the only guy in there and my buddies would laugh at me. I'm like, come on in, give this shit a shot. And I, this actually happened in college once I was doing some and they, they were having, they're having like the bottom of the, um, the rec center. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no air conditioning down there. Okay. And it was hot. Like and this is in Nashville in like the spring. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, you guys, like, you think you're like, you guys played, played ball in high school. You guys are athletes. Come on down, and give us a shot. And I was in decent shape. Yeah, I like cybergenics in those summers between when I was in college. So I was still training pretty hard, you know. Yeah, you had to train hard. And these guys hadn't been doing shit but drinking beer. Right, right. And like they got decimated. One guy, one guy just just from an aerobics class because he was so hard, he literally just passed out in the middle of class. He just lied there on the floor <laughs> the entire time. It was yeah. hilarious. People were having to step over him and shit before he could drag himself away. Wow. So CrossFit has the, the the advantage that it's so freaking hard if you and, and that's just the culture of it yeah whereas you go into a lot of gyms like your average average la fitness or, or big box gym whatever it may be most people are not training very hard yeah but if you equate effort level and so that you're training with bodybuilding as hard as you or with crossfit and then the focus is on muscular muscle as the locus of fatigue muscle stress as opposed to cardiovascular stress Bodybuilding is going to make you into a, a more muscular individual. Yeah. 
And CrossFit's going to make you into a more cardiovascularly fit individual and probably a more fit individual over all the domains of fitness. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Agility and all sorts of things. But as far as a body, if you're going into CrossFit to look like a bodybuilder and you're motivated to train as hard as you would in CrossFit, then bodybuilding is going to be your better choice. Otherwise, bodybuilders would have done figured out CrossFit a long time ago, yeah. right? Yeah. So anyway, um, that aside from his question, but that's kind of part of the deal is why people don't go to failure hmm. on um, on lunges. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so we did have a couple those couple of questions that were older ones that we had the one on niacin, we had the one on milk thistle. We have some questions coming up in the feed as well. Um, I know you had something, Scott. Where what do you what do you want to go to? What are you thinking you want to go to next? We did have a good. It looks like a training question in the feed. If you want to go there. Oh yeah, let's do that. All right. So this is from uh, figure we, since we're on training, we'll we'll stay there for right now because we have some other stuff, GH and stuff like that. Uh, this is from George White. He says, uh, just back weight training after four months of uh, bands two times a week. Weights have not dropped on anything. Is this uh, really possible to mean? Is it really possible to maintain on bands alone? It sounds like he has. It sounds like he's answered his own question. George, no, it's not possible. I think you're full of shit. Like, you're obviously lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an illusion. You think that you've maintained... It's all going to fall apart at your next workout. No, it's not. Yeah. No. Um, but hold on here. This is, well, yeah, this is, George has been, George has been training, you know, he's as old as dirt. Oh, I, I don't know if he'll, I don't know how I feel about but that. But I am too. Like we're, we're probably both about to, no, George is an advanced dude. Like he yeah. competed a couple of years ago and was just, you can go on um, muscular development on, he's a, a post on there a good bit. Great guy, actually. Really funny. He's a Brit. And he's absolutely shredded. Peeled, he dude. Peeled. Literally, like totally peeled, like skinless. Yeah. So so he's been training for so long. And I tell you what, I guarantee just because he's, you know, you got to have screws loose to have been doing this as long as he has. He, um, sorry, I'm going back to read his question. That's all right. The, the audio popped back in, but. Yeah, he has been. He trained he's, hard. Yeah, yeah. He trained hard. There's no doubt about it. And he probably was doing similar movements there is i mean you can potentially lose some yeah you know but um the thing that i don't know how george seems like he's a pretty relaxed guy so i think this might apply to him okay is and i saw this in a lot of people not so much lately but especially at the initial part of the pandemic when everyone sort of had to like go back home mm. and they couldn't work like everyone started like people started making nice gains yeah because their stress was so less yeah I made a lot of progress in with the shutdown. I really did. Yeah. I did yeah. train a little bit less too. I think that I lowered my frequency a little bit. I think that I had better recovery because I wasn't like, I wasn't feeling like, well, I want to go to the gym, so I'll go. You know, it's like when I worked out, I, I really worked out. And then when I took time off, I really took time off. So, right. but yeah, I made progress. He, he added in, he said, uh, reps down from uh, 12 to nine, et cetera. So he still has the same strength, just oh. a few less reps, you know? Which that'll yeah. be back like next week, right? And I would bet with George too, when he diets down, maybe he if he's he's watching live, he can chime in on this. But he probably doesn't lose a lot of strength when he diets either. Yeah. Compared to off season, I mean, within probably ten percent. Yeah. So and like from twelve to nine, that's about a that's about a ten percent different in max strength if you extrapolate that out with the reps max kind of test. Okay. So yeah, it totally makes sense. I didn't lose anything. A lot of people are making. I've got a client who's he's still training at home. Yeah. Um, 
and he just but he's unlimited equipment he's doing a lot of deads and uh, a lot of squats yeah and he, he we're, we're back on like really focused check-ins but for a while they were somewhat intermittent yeah. and he's probably watching this he'll know i'm talking about him but um he posted this his pictures to me i'm like what the hell did you do to transform your back yeah like his back came up ridiculously and it was just from he didn't have any any other choices but to use oh. barbell like rows and deads and that kind of stuff. Yeah, his back grew, and and he's not loving the pandemic and being you know shut in at home. Right, but but he, but his back is covered. his back is absolutely <laughs> all that matters. It's not you, it's not how you look, but it's how you feel, and you look marvelous. as does your back. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah, but I we're getting a lot of people. Yeah, they just kind of. They were using the it's it's an interesting um, yeah. like test what's done to the mindset of many people with the pandemic. Mm. A lot of people have gained a lot of weight. They've gotten really kind of depressed. Yeah. So it's it's a I think it's largely a function of introversion versus extroversion. You know the freshman fifteen. I'm trying to get this yeah. to catch on the COVID fifteen. Oh, it's so true though. Is that a thing? Yeah, I think it should be. We should call it the COVID fifteen. Absolutely. Oh, look, uh, like COVID, COVID uh, nineteen, maybe the COVID nineteen, the COVID nineteen nineteen, <laughs> yeah. maybe that, because it's been a. I've seen, yeah, I've seen some pretty radical increases in uh, changes in body composition, which would be nice about it, but yeah. it hasn't been pretty for a lot of people. Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? I want to jump in with a quick commercial break, and then we will get back to our programming. So I'm going to talk about True Nutrition's EAAs today. TrueNutrition.com. They have a couple different products available. We talked about them on. Uh, the uh, Blood, Sweat, and Gear podcast this past week. So EAA, you know, basically essential amino acids, they don't need to be broken down. They go to your stomach. They go to your gut. They absorb straight through the wall into your bloodstream and go straight to the muscle, and then you get jacked. And that's what we want, right? So uh, they have a couple different options. They have their just pure instantized powder, and that is uh, 500 grams for about 25 bucks so it's pretty cheap maybe 26 you, you know that's pretty cheap it'll last you a long time there is a caveat yay itself raw yay does not taste good that's what this is just pure raw yay powder and that's why it hasn't been like highly marketed because companies want to put stuff out there that tastes absolutely amazing so you can fix it up by using uh, like some mio or some crystal light some type of a flavoring to uh, add to that yourself now they do have another product called EAA Plus. With this, this is about thirty bucks. You get twenty servings. It has ten grams of EAA Plus. It has five grams of leucine. So you are getting a pretty cool product, and it's already pre-flavored, so you don't have to think about it. I haven't tried it because I'm cheap, right? But Skip has. Skip loves the stuff, and that's all he gets now. So I go with the cheap option, and I flavor it myself, and uh, you know, it. And I'm good with that. But I came back from the day where. You just like protein powders that used to taste like flour. They were just, they were terrible. They mixed like flour too. So anyway, though, I, I think you can, you can do justice with this and, uh, you know, you can help to reach your goals while trying to, you know, basically be as economical in the process or they've got the higher end option. You can go with EAA plus either way, please use our code advices. And once again, that'll help to support everything we're doing. That's truenutrition.com. Also, I'm going to mention one more thing, uh, Total Focus by our sponsor, getazoth.com. Of course, they have uh, Azoth 2.0, which is a great nootropic blend. And Total Focus is a blend of pure uh, zynamite along with rhodiola rosea 
and pure calf uh, green coffee bean extract. So basically you get a little pop along with your Zynamite. Uh, pure Energy is just pure Zynamite. This has a little bit of a added boost to it to give you some zip along with uh, the Zynamite, which is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. And as I said in the last ad, that dopamine reuptake inhibitor is what keeps that dopamine level higher and keeps you focused on achieving more. I feel like I'm a high dopamine person, and that's why we have so many podcasts each week. <laughs> but listen, I can always I can always use a little more, and so I've been using these products. And maybe that's why we've had like seven shows per week. Maybe that should be a testament in itself. <laughs> if you guys want to try to you know get more out of life and and uh, experiment with some nootropics, and definitely do me a favor. Check out getazoth.com. We also have links in our uh, our show notes to the Amazon. Uh, check either of those places out. In both places, you can use our code ADVICES10. That's A-Z-O-T-H. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the show. You yeah, have another one? Yeah, we have, uh, we have a bunch of them. Like I said, we do have some drug stuff going on here. A couple, couple quickies here. Um, I will say, so uh, Dylan Jaworkian asked uh, predictions for North Americans and for the Tampa Pro. Uh, I will say that I know that uh, we are going to do a Tampa Pro wrap-up. Jeff Roberts and I and maybe some oh, other okay. people are going to jump in. So we are going to do a whole show on that after after the, the fact. Uh, and he also said, uh, any advice as Radio Fortitude training collab shirts coming? That would be fun. Um, mm-hmm. Let me see what else we do have here, though, question-wise, though. Okay, I'm going to go back up to this growth hormone question. So this is from uh, Walter. He's a longtime listener of the shows. And- I do pro, Walter Hardman, yep. And, uh, he, well, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's getting ready for North Americans right now. Oh, I thought he got his pro card. Okay. Not yet. He's working on it though. All right. Um, he says, I know Dr. Scott will know this exogenous GH. Uh, let's see, has, uh, has to be exogenous. Does it suffer from carbohydrate stunting as far as lipolysis goes? Uh, keep getting different responses from top level coaches, only endogenous. GH suffers from carbohydrates ingestion, not exogenous. Is there any truth to that? So he's talking about the fat loss benefits of growth hormone. If you eat carbs, will it, will it reduce those benefits? So yeah, what he's talking about, there's two aspects of this. There's the endogenous regulation of growth hormone versus insulin, like the endogenous endocrine responses to a meal. Yeah. Um, and so growth hormones released when, and we just talked about this on Victor Black's podcast a little bit, but growth hormone during growth and development, um, is about growth of of the body. You know, if you're lacking in growth hormone, you'll be a pituitary dwarf, as they say. Mm -hmm. And the somatomedin hypothesis is that growth hormone stimulates IGF-1 release from the liver, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when people have reached their full height, their mature adults, so to speak, growth hormone will be released largely for fuel homeostasis. So if uh, you become hypoglycemic, low, low blood sugar, um, this will trigger growth hormone release hmm. so that you can mobilize fat for fuel. The body needs to get the fuel somewhere. Um, if you, when you go to sleep, you'll tend to get that as well. Typically people aren't eating during their sleep, although bodybuilders, you know, mow down huge meals. So that will tend to increase growth hormone release. Yeah. So growth hormones about lipolysis and managing fuel. 
if you do prolonged exercise without any interworkout or endurance exercise, growth hormone levels will gradually increase over the course of the exercise. Yes. That's to help. Yes, that's to help liberate the the lipolysis, hmm. the, the fatty acids so that you can then oxidize those. So when you eat a meal, eat some carbohydrates, you stimulate insulin release. Insulin inhibits lipolysis and act and turns on lipogenesis. That's the opposite of growth hormone. The elevation in glucose is also going to suppress growth hormone release. So that's just normal endogenous regulation. It doesn't make any sense to release a hormone that is counter to another hormone at the yeah. same time. Like it, it's just it'd be just kind of silly um, to have growth hormone stay elevated while insulin is elevated. Yeah. Because you're trying to use, the insulin is there to for depositing those carbohydrates where they're needed in skeletal muscle with lacking glycogen or if there's excess a little bit into fat, you don't get a whole lot of de novo lipogenesis. So you've really been mowing down for a while. But insulin is a storage hormone. And in this sense, just put it simply, growth hormone does the opposite. It's a release hormone. It's releasing yeah. those stored energy sources in terms of fat. Yeah. So if you release, if you inject endogenous growth hormone, that's going to leave, the, it's going to cause an elevation that peaks about three hours after the injection. It's around for maybe eight hours or so. And there'll be some residual effects on metabolism after blood levels of growth hormone have gone down. But that's, that's there. That's happening. That's going to impact lipolysis during that period, um, no matter what, because it's being forced into the system through the injection. Yeah. So that, that, that injection site doesn't function like a little pituitary in your brain that is regulated by fuel availability. So all the things that would turn on growth hormone release from your pituitary um, when you eat or when you haven't eaten or when you become hypoglycemic, those things aren't affecting the the, the release of the growth hormone from the injection site where you put it in IM or sub-Q. Mm. That's going to just happen no matter what. Yeah. And that's going to be a, a function of blood flow to those tissues, whether it's sub-Q or IM, probably the growth hormone formulation. I've seen different different papers looking at the area under the curve, sub-Q versus IM, and it doesn't seem to be universally better one way or the other. Hmm. But that's going to happen no matter what. But if you eat carbs, you're still going to get some insulin release. Hmm. And that's still going to, at the at the let's say the level of the muscle cell, um, cause uh, glucose disposal and glucose uptake. Hmm. At the level of the fat cell, it's going to inhibit lipolysis and promote lipogenesis. Hmm. So if you eat like a fatty, like a mixed micronutrient meal, like you're going to have a pizza. Yeah. Um, so we'll t get to break it down to like uh, like real kind of real world situation, you've injected growth hormone and you go and have a pizza and you get a nice insulin release because the pizza's yummy, it's fatty, it's got protein, it's got carbs, it's delicious. Mm -hmm. You get insulin release, look at any of those fat cells, you're going to have growth hormone promoting lipolysis, the fat breakdown, and you're going to have insulin inhibiting lipolysis and promoting lipogenesis. Sounds confusing. There's a lot going on in, in the cell yeah. right now. Well, it's just one cell. We got two yeah. hormones to do the opposite things. Right, right. So what happens yeah. then? So, well, it's it's a function of all sorts of things, actually. The size of the hmm. muscle cell, the extent of the insulin release, where the growth hormone is. Oh. If you did it, like, right afterwards, if it's if it's at five hours later, it wouldn't be nearly, the growth hormone would have a nearly effect 
as if it were like three hours, let's say seven hours later versus three hours later when it's peaking. Yeah, okay. But those two things are going to be antagonistic in hmm. their actions on fat metabolism in the fat cells. Hmm. Um, and you're going to have the insulin release that's going to happen because of the meal. Yeah. It might be modified to some degree because the growth hormone is going to um, impact blood fatty acid levels a little and change that a little bit differently than just the meal by itself. Hmm. That's kind of a minor detail. The main thing is the fact that the growth hormone is going to be there counteracting that, that effect of insulin. Hmm. Insulin is going to increase glucose disposal. Growth hormone generally has the opposite effect. Yeah. So the growth hormone that you've injected is going to just it's counter-regulatory to the insulin. Mm. And it's going to, because it's injected, it's going to do its thing no matter what. Insulin is going to do its thing no matter what. Yeah. So you're going to shift, let's say, at the fat cell, the balance of lipolysis and lipogenesis. So let's say it's not going to work out this way except, you know, very specific circumstance. But let's say that for one particular fat cell, the impact of insulin inhibiting lipolysis is, is exactly counteracted by the impact of growth hormone stimulating lipolysis. Yeah. So lipolysis is is a tie there. Yeah. It's a boot. Then that's because the growth hormone came in because you injected it. Now, if someone hadn't injected the growth hormone, growth hormone levels wouldn't even be at play here. They'd be low because blood sugar's gone up. Right. So now you're going to have a net effect on lipogenesis inhibiting lipolysis because of the insulin. Hmm. So the difference there is the fact, essentially, that the body is going to is regulating all of those hormones of fuel metabolism and homeostasis in concert. Yeah, it doesn't just like willy nilly like let's just let them all fly and see what the hell happens. Yeah, it it doesn't it they're they're, they're counter regulatory. So glucagon and insulin are also counter regulatory in a way. Glucagon stimulates. For instance, hepatic glycogenolysis, so you can elevate blood sugar. Hmm. So when glucose is gone, release glucagon. That's the way I remember it. So it's glucagon to the rescue, glucose goes up, whereas insulin hmm. has the opposite effect, which people know if they've injected too much insulin yeah. inadvertently. So those things are all coordinated. But once you've got the, the injection in there, it, the growth hormone is going to come up and come down. It's not going to be – largely it's not going to be impacted. Hmm. Um Probably one thing that might happen is insulin tends to increase blood flow to skeletal muscle. Mm -hmm. So if you've injected it in the muscle, the, gro the growth hormone, um, the insulin might have an effect of increasing the rate at which it leaves the site. So that's going to that's gonna change the pharmacokinetics a little bit. Really? Okay. Time to peak. Yeah, pro potentially. Yeah. You could do the same thing just by like exercising that muscle or putting a heat pad on it too. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, so... Huh. Um, but the, yeah, so there's going to be some little, 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 um, some minor impact of the growth hormone on how insulin acts, and a minor impact of the insulin on how the growth hormone acts. Yeah, it's pharmacokinetics at least, not the dynamics so much. But um, so, but those are really immaterial. Like that's that's when pe why people say you just inject. It doesn't matter. Like all this like timing of like we're gonna do the growth hormone, the insulin 15 minutes later, and then do your carbs and all that kind of shit. There's, there's nothing like that's that probably doesn't matter for Jack. It's but if it, you think it does, it will because the placebo effect will come into play. Yeah. So it, it can matter. Like if if you have like the, that's the thing. You have this. If you have the more exacting the protocol. Yeah. The more specific it is. Like 
It must be between 12 and 15 minutes, not earlier, not later. Right. Otherwise, you're fucked. Like, your growth hormone is useless unless you use it right in this particular sequence. You've seen all those, like, protocols that people have. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they like they get, like, their, their different shakes. Those are the pre-workout, the intra, and the post-workout shake. And it's like, don't you get it in the gut? It's all getting sloshed up around anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know? There was... There was a, a guy. He's a sm- very, very actually a very, very smart kid, but he was just he was totally outside the box thinker. Mm-hmm. He used to do weird shit just to like yank people's chains. Yeah. And he used to, he used to say he used to take all of his food in elementary school and he mix it all together. Okay. And eat it like that. Okay. And they're like, why do you do that? He's like, it doesn't matter. It's all getting mixed in your in your stomach anyway. Yeah. It's like because it tastes like shit. It's like I don't care. But he used, but he was right. Like once you get it in there, it's it's all the same. So. You know, if like timing of insulin and and growth hormone with those very specific um, schedules is probably just doing nothing but producing an expectancy and a placebo effect, which mm. can be very powerful. But yeah. physiologically, I, I doubt. Um, when it comes to the growth hormone secretagogues, that's a different story. Mm. Another topic, because um, there can be an impact there on, um, for instance, glucose levels will will reduce the growth hormone secretion that you get from those secretagogues. Okay. Insulin, not so much, but glucose does. So that's why people would use them when fasted. And I think that that's where we start to get like a little bit, it gets a little murky for people because then people start thinking that, that all growth hormone, you know, basically growth hormone period is, is going to be affected by, by glucose. You know, they, that the peptides yeah. are, then, the, then they think the growth hormone is too. And, you right. know, and that's the peptides are working with endogen- the endogenous system of release. Yeah. So you've got the ghrelin um, analogs, and that's in, that's involved with the gastrointestinal system, which is going to going to be sensing um, when what kind of fuel is coming in, and then you've got the the, the GRPs, the growth hormone releasing hormone analog so the grp 139 or whatever it is like so those both can have a synergistic effect hmm. but you have to pay attention because basically you're sending in two inputs for growth hormone release mm-hmm. to get it to come out of the pituitary mm-hmm. the pituitary is also picking up on things like the glucose level too oh yeah so like you can have an if you have that glucose elevated which is inhibitory um uh stimulus for growth hormone release and you send in the secretagogues to stimulate it, you can basically undo the effect of the secretagogues. Yeah. Because you, you, you're inhibiting with glucose. So mm. that's why those become a pain in the butt, like trying to like make sure that your glucose levels aren't elevated from a previous meal. Yeah. If you use those. But with the with your doing your injecting growth hormone, it's going in. It's going to go in no matter what, pretty much. Yeah. So, so it's there. So, so if you were to use uh, exogenous growth, uh, while uh, blood sugar levels were high, it's still going to work. Now, I'm, I'm, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to look into this now further. I'm trying to ask. So, um, no matter what, you're going to get an effect from it. Sometimes those effects could kind of cancel itself out. Uh, if, if you were in a, if you were in a position where you're also storing, you're going to be burning and storing. And, and I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is, I'm wondering, is there still going to be a benefit then to say? to use exogenous growth hormone with fasted cardio to increase lipolysis. So I'm glad you fasted. I was going to just go there. This is very analogous to using fasted cardio. So let's, let's say you wake up in the morning and you do your cardio fasted and you expend 500 calories. Okay. 
There is absolutely no doubt if you use indirect calorimetry, you measure you know, fatty acid oxidation, blah, 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 that without any food coming in, you're post-absorptive, you do that morning fa fasted cardio, <clears throat> you're going to oxidize more fat. It's a function of fuel availability um, and lingering effects of it. So insulin levels can be back down, and you'll have lingering effects on fuel use that can last for hours. Mm. So anyway, the fastest cardio definitely going to burn more fat during that period. So, but if your total expenditure for that day is 3000 calories and you eat 3,500 calories, mm -hmm. just because you did fasted cardio in the morning doesn't mean you're going to lose fat. So I can't eat the pizza and do fasted cardio and expect to break even or, no. or keep progressing. No. Okay. No. And I'll and note only, that to myself. The thing that I, that I suspect, which may be at least one reason why the fasted cardio is something that people like and, was well, a few things, but you know it sets sets up a good pattern for the day. Yeah, the it first does. Thing you've done is you've yeah. gotten yourself set into that rhythm. Yeah. But also, the you're training your metabolic machinery mm. to use fat as a fuel. Mm. And so then there is a little bit of data showing this that mm. you like if you're if you're there's all sorts of like low fat um, like fat adaptation studies where they've taken endurance athletes and try to fat adapt them which does happen yeah and you get an elevation in the hormones involved with beta oxidation fat utilization mm -hmm. so there might be something to say with making yourself better able to oxidize fats during your diet if you can do that maybe you have i mean this is just pure speculation but maybe you have less carb cravings because you're you're just oh, better yeah. able to use fats yeah so you don't like like there's all there's like this seems like this like magical point where people are taking like a hundred grams of carbs a day where they just like it's like a suffering point. If you go lower than that, then you make a shift. You tend to become ketogenic. Yeah. But if you're like a hundred to two hundred, you're like you're kind of like teetering back and forth because the carbs are just enough to shift you to carb utilization. And then you have to have the metabolic flexibility to go back to fats. Yeah. And that can like make people go bonkers and make them want to binge. So either you go high, higher carb and lower fat and keep a deficit, or you go below the 100 to 200 range, depending on the person's size. Mm -hmm. So some of that is having that metabolic flexibility. Mm. If you've gotten up in the morning and trained when you're um, fasted, you, you may be able to oxidize more fat um, overall, just in generally because you're training the system for fat utilization, mm. and it may make you less likely to binge. So if you use... The same thing goes for yohimbine too. People say you got to use yohimbine, you know, when you're fasted. Hmm. Um, and and there's one one reason for that is yohimbine's action uh, to block alpha twos can hmm. end up potentiating insulin release, which is something you 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 don't want to have because that is going to um, inhibit lipolysis. So that's why people say do your fasted cardio with yohimbine. Only use it when you're fasted. But still, same thing. If you if you're eating, if you're expending three thousand, eating thirty five hundred, yeah, you're still gonna you're, you're gonna end up with the caloric excess. You're not gonna lose fat. So if you inject growth hormone and you do it, you know, when and you don't eat any carbs around that time, you're gonna have a greater fat utilization. It's just how it's gonna work. Hmm. Um, but that but you still have the the first and foremost is caloric balance for fat loss. Okay. So. You know, you can you can you know play with all the timing as much as you want, and I think there probably are some. There, I mean, I think met nutrient timing definitely has its utility, but if you if you think that that you're going to get some magical effect and turn yourself into some you know ridiculous, you're going to like sh shift your genetics in a way that you now are like just naturally 
shredded because you're doing all these things to provoke lipolysis, inject yeah. growth hormone, fasted cardio, yohimbine. I think it can have a little bit of a subtle change, hmm. but you're still not going to be able to get away with eating a caloric excess and expect to lose body fat. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I think that I think that kind of answered your question. Yeah. And the thing that people conflate and they confuse is that what you're doing during a given period of time in terms of fat use, specifically during cardio, um, supersedes caloric balance overall. So you may have that morning cardio when you're using, you know, 70 or 80 percent of your fuel comes from fat because you've been dieting with a low fat diet and you haven't taken any carbs in for a while. Maybe you haven't had carbs for several days in substantial amounts. Yeah. And so you're you're burning a shitload of fat. But, you know, and and Atkins used to say this. I heard an old radio interview with him. It's like you can eat as much as you want. You lose weight as long as you don't have any carbs. Hmm. 10,000 calories. It's like no, it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you're not going to you're not going to violate the laws of thermodynamics like that. But I but I think you can shift your body's ability to use fats to a certain degree. Yeah, that would which make sense. Definitely, definitely in your favor. Yeah. So, um, so that's that's the thing with you know, taking and using growth hormone when you're fasted, you will get more fat mobilization. Okay. Um, and I I thought I had found a paper and Lord help me, I cannot find the fucking thing again, but. Um, the thing, the thing that'd be interesting to see is if there is, is some interaction between carbohydrate and, and insulin and growth hormone in a way that, um, the carbohydrates and the insulin taking in those carbohydrate containing meals, um, substantially dampens the, and interferes with exogenous growth hormones impact on lipolysis. Hmm. Um, such that it just dramatically outweighs it. And I don't know, I have no reason to suspect this would necessarily be in any way that makes any practical difference. Okay. Um, but I think people kind of think that, like you, if you have some carbs with it and all of a sudden, boom, like those lipolytic effects, like insulin is not blocking the growth hormone receptor, for instance. Yeah. It's like the insulin gets in there, like, and all of a sudden, boom, just like insulin isn't blocking the alpha-2 adrenoreceptors that or, or it's not activating them whereas yohimbine is is inhibiting them yeah. it's not getting in way with the effects of yohimbine on the fat cell just like it's not doing the same thing for growth hormone yeah so there's no like interaction there that just ridiculously and um abundantly blocks growth hormones lipolytic action in yeah. a way that just makes it worthless i think but that's I important to know that's important yeah. you know that's important yeah. stuff too then so um Okay, we had a couple more things here. Um, not sure where we went. What's that? These are great. Yeah, we we, we have a couple more uh, that came in on the feed. Then we had those other questions. I'm not sure where we want to go with this one. Um, he, he looks like he's a younger guy, Simon. And he says, um, what are your guys' opinions on the most safe AAS cycle to run long term? So is there, first of all, you know, I mean, are there going to be looking here safer steroids than others? This is probably up toward the top. This is uh, maybe like mm. the the fifth comment down from a little while ago. This is Simon Neymar or Neymar? Yeah, yeah. So he has another post. I found this here. Okay. This I know, but from my standpoint, is something like he was that. talking. People people were talking with him. People were making suggestions to him. 
And gotcha. so he was responding to them. Yeah. Uh, so. so yep. Ooh, that's so slick when you pull those up like that. You've got his profile picture up. I dig it. Yes. Um, so safety is going to be a function of a whole bunch of things. Okay. Overall dose. And it always has to be relativized towards your goals. Like you'd be safest. The safest cycle is to do no, does not cycle. Sure. Unless maybe you're, you're hypogonadal and you need to use testosterone as replacement, yeah. which can have benefits. But like, that's like, this is again, it's a, a context is everything for a lot of these questions. So like the question is then like, let's say he wants to become the most massive, like monstrous bodybuilding that his bodybuilders genetics would possibly allow. Yeah. Then what's the, what's the safest cycle to look like branch Warren is going to be a different answer than yeah. You know, what's the safest cycle to look like a Calvin Klein model. Exactly. Absolutely. For sure. And then the, the, the other question is what is he willing to do as far as food and training on top of that? Is he want to rely on this on the cycle? Like, is he going to like kind of train ho 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 hum? Does he not want to eat eat you know eat the whole? Doesn't want to eat like Jordan Peters has or like many people have. He doesn't have a big. It's just like yeah, I'm just going to well, eat like a moderate. So we'll just play the opposite side of that. I mean, does it really matter what he eats? I mean, at the end of the day, yes, that does that does change his results. But uh, and and obviously, you could I guess get a lot more out of less. But are you mm -hmm. saying then, like, if, well, if you don't want to train as hard, then you'd have to take more to, to yeah. get an effect? Okay, okay. Right, that's the thing. Like, for, for, for goal X, whatever that might be. Oh, know, yeah. Class yeah. physique or men's, men's, what's the bikini, men's bikini division called? The, <laughs> men's, men's physique division. Men's physique, yeah. Hey, those guys are <laughs> badasses now. They're, I, they're, I, I, oh, those, the pros are ridiculous. Yeah, like, yeah. Those guys, they're actually getting them too big now. Like, they're that good. I like them. Yeah, they're, they look freaking nasty up there, man. They look good. They, they're like, and I've been, you know, been at a, I competed at a show that was a pro am yeah. and got to see some of those guys. Um, it's like, holy shit, how do they fucking weigh that much? I mean, they're unreal, man. I've seen that. And then, of course, the Tampa Pro, which is coming up this weekend, yes. they, they walked them down through the audience. I'm not sure how they'll do it now with COVID, but, yeah. um, and they're like, holy shit, these guys are just badass. They just, they're just not going to be able to be IFBB pros, but they're ridiculous physique. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not just, I just could, it wouldn't pop. I wanted to say men's physique. I'm like, is that right? Yes. All the new divisions, they could use this old brain of mine. So, but for goal X, whatever it may be, it, what the, the safest cycle you can use is going to be a function of what you're willing to do otherwise. Yeah. So that, that question really is, is it's unanswerable without knowing where he wants to take his physique. Hmm. And what's the state like it's asking like what's the safest drug um, for someone for who has a headache? And um, if someone has a family history of of liver disease, mm. of gastrointestinal disorders, like you can cause all sorts of gastric issues taking a lot of aspirin. Mm -hmm. uh, but my grandmother, on the other hand, she used to take a hundred aspirin a week wow. for her with arthritis. Never had a, a GI problem at all. Wow. Nothing. And she lived to be like 97. Okay. So it wasn't that. So, so that for her, aspirin was great. Yeah. Other people, a couple of aspirin, and they're like, you know, they're just horrible. They've got, you know, get a bleeding ulcer. Yeah. So it's all going to depend on your genetic proclivity, where you're trying to go, 
And the first thing I would say is like, what are you, what are you doing otherwise hmm. to try to get where you're, have you maxed out everything? And then, so then the other, other question is going to be looking at you. And we've talked about this before when we had lats on, he talked about the, the guy, I think he was from Russia. He's Eastern Bloc. Oh yeah. Or who had, who had gone through and figured out for himself the relative, the, the, the minimal doses that he was, or the maximal doses he was willing to sort of um, tolerate mm -hmm. as far as side effects for each of the drugs that he was going to use. Mm -hmm. And then he goes out in combinations at those levels, working up to them. So it may be that, you know, for him, let's just say, take like one that's sort of known as the worst. Uh, he has no family history of Alzheimer's. He has no psychotic tendencies in his family or otherwise. He's a great sleeper, and he doesn't get any negative side effects from using Trenbolone. Okay. To this, Trenbolone actually is not a bad one for him. Mm. He, he might be able to get away with like 10 milligrams of Tren three times a week. Wow. And great, great effect. It's, 10? It's, yeah, 10. Yes. How, how much, what's, what's daily output of uh, testosterone in a male? Whatever seven, right? Something seven, like that. And milligrams, yeah. yeah. Trends more, trends more anabolic and androgenic than testosterone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a possibility that he could get all he needs out of just that. That's a very small amount. Yeah. Obviously, you're like ten. Like what the fuck? Yeah, ten. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Ten every so hour. He's, he's going to have a dose response in terms of growth, and in terms of each of the various side effects. Yeah, yeah. For each different drug. So it's hard to kind of say, like, obviously, testosterone is, is the one that's endogenous, endogenously produced. Um, and, for instance, people have, uh, it takes different amounts to get different blood levels of testosterone. Mm -hmm. so that's, for instance, a function of the phosphodiesterase um, enzyme that cleaves the esterified fatty acid from the testosterone located in the liver. Mm. You have the, the, the good isoform of that genetically speaking then you get like a 60 percent higher area of the curve mm. for a 200 milligram testosterone injection yeah so the cycle amount is going to vary depending on that how his body handles the drug yeah. as well as the sensitivity of his antigen receptor and the sensitivity is going to probably vary a couple different places in the gene where it can vary substantially for the different drugs so he might find that, you know, he doesn't have any like estrogenic side effects from D-ball mm -hmm. from wherever they may come. And and testosterone is great. He can do I, I talked to someone the other day who like he was getting like his blood levels for like is like they're like three times what you would have expected given okay. the amount of testosterone he was using. Yeah. How in the hell? Like, but he probably had a lot of things in his favor for yeah. whatever reason. So, and the estrogenic side of it, like for some people trying to do 500 milligrams of test yeah. might, in order to keep estrogen under control, yeah. might require levels of an, an aerobatase inhibitor that just fucks up his joints and his, and his lipids to know to, just beyond what he wants to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a family history of arthritis, yeah. he's got bad joints because of something else he did. So I can go on and on. Like literally you can pick every freaking compound and look at it from that perspective. Yeah. So, and I and I ramble intentionally when asked these questions like that to point out that 
not like in a mean way, but it's it's an overly simplistic view to try to get that best cycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really, that's a starting place. Like testosterone, test is best. What people always say, testosterone is the endogenously produced hormone. Um, it's funny because people say hormones, but trenbolone is not a hormone. I don't know that trenbolones produce endogenously. There, there might be some like you can. I don't, I don't believe trenbolone. Anadrol is not a hormone. <laughs> right, nandrolone. I think there's some nandrolone that can be produced in the body. I believe. Yeah. Very, 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 very small amounts. But most of these things are just they're anabolic androgenic steroids that have cholesterol backbone that's shared by testosterone and the other steroid hormones in the body, but it's they're not really hormones. Yeah. So there's good reason that you might think testosterone's the best one to go with. So a simple testosterone cycle, you look back at the nineteen ninety six by study by Bosin, B H A S I N, where they gave men 600 milligrams, I think it was, a week, mm -hmm. college-age men, and literally they couldn't, they didn't know if they were on or not, mm -hmm. they couldn't tell, there was no increase, they did like a, a, some sort of a, an index of aggressive tendencies, aggressive mentality, aggressive behavior, mm -hmm. didn't change that, and they had a group that trained, a group that didn't train, and they had two other groups that trained, um, they had groups that trained and didn't train, they had four groups, and they had with or without steroids. Okay. The group that took the gear gained just about as much muscle mass, hmm. cross-sectional area of factory mass, as the group that trained without gear. Hmm. And if you trained and used gear, you got double growth. Yeah. That was just like a 12-week study, something like that. Okay. And that's a pretty safe cycle. College-age guys are making gains when their testosterone levels were pretty high. Yeah. Um, then that's a good one. They couldn't tell they're on. They weren't getting aggressive. They weren't turning into assholes. Yeah. That's, that's a winner, I think, in my book. I want to address one other one part of his question too. He said, um, he said long term. So, I, and I don't know what long term means, but you mentioned uh, dose being a really big part of side effects. I think duration can be a big part of side effects too. And I've seen it, you know, just firsthand that there, that you have a once you start like, a, and this has been a big thing this season because I had um, a number of people who were planning to compete in early shows, which were then canceled or postponed. And, mm. you know, you can extend someone's diet, but in, in my experience, once you start them on a compound that, you know, on a lot of compounds, really in a cutting phase that you have a shelf life. Like once we start, like we can diet for six months, you know, we can add food back in, we can, we can extend that. We can just get leaner and maybe come in fuller. But once you start the trend, once you start the master on, once you start the winstrel, you're on a clock, you know, you can stop taking yeah. it, but you can, you're not going to be able to continue to use it. The longer you, we can, we can use Winstrel for instance, for everybody's different, but for a period of time before joint issues start creeping up on people. And I'm not saying everyone across the board, but that's Jim just been my experience. So I think that duration is also a factor in any steroid and that there's, I don't know what he means by long term, but long term you're gonna need to take you can't continue this stuff long term any of them in my opinion any of them you stay on them long enough and that there will be problems so he, he might refer if he goes to my instagram there was uh, i did a, a podcast with victor black last okay. week and he calls it his uh superhuman man or superhuman protocol and and he's got a very um a very solid idea that he's been employing with clients for quite a while and as a long-term solution, so to speak, and it's hard to know, like, you know, um, 
what exactly this might people are probably going to vary as the extent to which this might reduce life expectancy or increase the risk for for disease but he uses small amounts of testosterone small amounts of growth hormone he uses an angiotensin um, receptor blocker telomasartan um, which to help keep blood pressure under check mm. small amounts of insulin i think chest on training days or peri workout mm. infrequently not like a constant like let's use a long acting like all the time um, to kind of relieve the potential stress on the uh, on the pancreas of high caloric intake. Yeah. So he, he uses um, several pharmaceuticals in combination hmm. um, at just at amounts that are going to have um, a good benefit to risk ratio. So not we're not talking about a thousand grams milligrams of test a week. Yeah. Or any any like no orals whatsoever but just smaller amounts and combination of, of the basics that he has found that are beneficial and that work yeah. um, and uses them in, in combination. And we also talked about the idea of rotating on and off some mm. of those as well. Mm. And that's what made me sort of think of, think of that idea when you're talking about this. So let's say that you are going to, you're going to choose, let's say, you know, you find that DECA and EQ are you know, roughly equivalent for you for whatever reason. And you don't have like a horrible, you don't get anxiety from low levels of DECA or low levels of EQ, you don't get elevated hematocrit from that. Mm -hmm. And someone might find that they would use testosterone at 300 milligrams a week and and alternate between like a nandrolone phenylpropionate and an EQ, something like that. Um, four weeks on, four weeks off, then four weeks on the next one, four weeks off. Mm -hmm. And then during those four weeks off of the nandrolone or EQ, they would use insulin mm. during those periods. So then they would be alternating insulin, you know, four weeks on, four weeks off. Yeah. So you're minimizing the side effects by rotating through those hormones. Um, and this is this is something too. It's probably the same detoxification system in in the liver, the same enzyme. Um, P450 SIP en enzyme that's involved with most steroids. As far as I can tell, I've not been able to find any differences there. But the metabolites that you get are different. Like the nandrolone metabolites hang around for like over a year. Yeah. Some, so those can have some interesting effects. Mm -hmm. um, so coming on and off of those things is going to change metabolites. It's going to change the, the, the toxicity that your body has to deal with. So you're releasing at least whatever specific toxicities whatever toxicity is specific to those drugs yeah. in particular by coming on and off of them and using some sort of a baseline form of testosterone. So basically what you're kind of saying here and what I what, what I think Victor um, kind of employs, you can listen to the podcast for more, more details there, is that um, the idea is that you don't get on a particular regimen if you're trying to do that and just stay on mm. continuously because you're right, then, then you have this duration they have an accumulation effect. Let's say it's hematocrit. Yeah, yeah. Keeps on going up and up and up and up and up. But let's say that, you know, someone um, finds that, and I've seen there's actually some literature about using trend as an HRT. There's okay. at least one paper I think I have in my, in my um, database here where that's been proposed. And there was a there was a physician in Phoenix I think who was doing that. Yeah. But very very small amounts. Okay. So, uh, let's say that testosterone. 
tends to cause hematocrit issues for this person. Yeah. They might bloodlet, they might take care of those things otherwise, but maybe they can they can do 300 milligrams for two months before they start to get an elevation of testosterone yeah. or in hematocrit. They come off of that, and then they, then they go with something else, some other combination. They do a PCT, let's say, or they decide that they want to use Tren. I'm not saying use Tren. Right. And remember, I said 10 milligrams, so we're not talking like you don't, you don't swap 200 milligrams for 200 milligrams in this kind of scenario we're talking about. Right. But they, they find some, some way to limit the, both the, the drugs themselves that cause the side effects as well as limit the duration of those drugs when those side effects are more time sensitive or duration sensitive. Hmm. So you come off the stuff when you get to the long the period of time where it starts to have an accruing accumulated side effect impact on you yeah that makes sense it does so, so that's nothing specific I'm, you're not going to get like like do this do that do this that because that doesn't primo like, all you know, primo like yeah people love primo especially in the uk it's expensive as shit but it's like it's like what's the best exercise for my chest yeah right uh, what, what's the best diet for me yeah i don't know what's the best you know drug regime for me yeah it's all individual. All right. So, we have uh, enough time for maybe it. like one more here. And I know that we had a couple of old questions uh, that we hadn't covered. Uh, one of them, you, what do you think, niacin or milk thistle? Which one uh, do you want to tackle? Oh, um, that was kind of a, let me see here. Let's look at this question. Thoughts on niacin. So niacin does... I haven't looked into the niacin. I, I presume the idea is, can you ask Scott his thoughts on niacin? That's my favorite way of phrasing a question, as Scott knows. Just yes. tell me your thoughts on it. Yeah. Thoughts on um, niacin. Yeah. Well, it can elevate HDL, but there, I haven't seen any, at least convincing evidence, that doing so uh, has an impact on cardiovascular risk um, as a way, in the same way that you see if you look cross-sectionally at people having low hdl is not in your favor generally as a predictive risk factor yeah for cardiovascular disease or stroke and those sorts of things but i haven't seen data that suggests that if you maybe there's something out i haven't looked in a year or so probably but that suggests that if you elevate your hdl at least in the way it's customarily measured yeah that that then gives you that protective effect that you see when you look cross-sectionally that's what I've so, heard too still. And I, I don't know. I haven't looked into it further, but that's what I've heard that necess- that, that doesn't change mortality rates by yeah. increasing HDL through niacin. Yeah. Nicotin, niacin or nicotinic acid actually inhibits lipolysis. Does it really? They will, they will use that. Yeah. In lots of research studies huh, to, okay. never the- to invest. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It, it, it's a really powerful effect. They'll use it to literally blunt lipolysis. No so they can just eliminate that as a fatty acid liberation from from fat cells as a fuel, potential fuel source. Hmm. So what you see during exercise is an increased glycogen use. Hmm. So, like someone like someone literally who's like taking like as much niacin as they can handle yeah. and not get like the nasty niacin flushed like right before they go to work out. Yeah, I'm not sure what the half life niacin is, but if you you can end up using more glycogen than you would otherwise want to and end up really flat. No kidding. That, essentially, yeah, that's just huh. totally theoretical. I've never experienced that, yeah. nor have I tried to do that. But um, like we used to use niacin, like try to get a help get vascularity and a pump going backstage. Okay, yeah, it, it was the thing. I tried it and never got. Any, I never got anything but just red. Yeah, you know, all it did was just like change the color of my skin. I never got never got vascular from it. 
Yeah. Just I just got a flush and felt like shit. Yeah. So, but if you're literally, I can I could see someone. It would be possible that you would like try to get if you're one of those people. If some people do this, I think they get nervous. They just keep on pumping up. Mm-hmm. Either that or they're holding a bunch of water and they're trying to sweat it out in some way, shape, or form. Right. But if you go and like just keep on pumping up and you're taking nice and you get vascularity going, you could literally just deplete on the glycogen you have left and end up flat as shit on stage. Oh, absolutely. Nice and would be like shoot yourself in the foot. So um that's a little tidbit on niacin. And then uh milk thistle, it's silymarin is the active ingredient in uh silabinin or silbinin. It's an antioxidant anti inflammatory. Mm-hmm anti-cancer effect like that's this like that's the standard liver um herb for liver health it helps with hepatitis and cir- liver cirrhosis alcoholic liver cirrhosis like uh liver scarring from people mm-hmm. who have just been alcoholics all the time so it, it definitely has clinical effects that's why people take it for when they take orals mm-hmm. so mo- like most of the the ingredients you find in um liver uh formulae it has an antioxidant effect. Yeah. Glutathione, like people would do like the glutathione infusions and those sorts of things to really yeah. jack up um, antioxidant status. Too much of that, of course, can can blunt, potentially blunt uh, adaptation to exercise. I've heard this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've covered this before, I think. I think we had, I think we had. The, yeah. And it, it'll, um, like we talked about it, I think, in relation to NAC. Yeah, NAC does it. Vitamin E and vitamin C in combination do it. Like any type of like mega dosing of vitamins. Yeah. And yeah, you'll blunt, you'll blunt the the you'll you'll basically quench the oxidative stress, and that's part of the stimulus for turning on muscle growth. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, gosh, you can even like you'll blunt mitochondrial biogenesis. Hmm. What does so that people mean? Go out, uh, Making more mitochondria, so your muscle cells get more aerobically inclined. Okay. Ability to fuel with oxygen. Gotcha. So, like, take people when you start them on a jogging program, whatever, and like just keep mega dosing them with vitamin C and vitamin E. Yeah. And they, they won't get any. They won't get the mitochondria. That's like that's the most like basic wow. adaptation to exercises. More my it doesn't happen. Wow. You blunt it that way. Huh. Yeah. It totally. So it's that hormesis thing. Like you have to have. Some amount of stress. The optimal amount of stress gives the optimal adaptation. Yeah. Too much, it's not good. But but if you blunt it, the antioxidant, anti-inflammatories do a little bit of the same thing. But if you blunt the the free radicals, yeah, you basically stop the adaptation. It's tracks. Yeah, that makes part. sense. Yeah, it's kind of so. Like take those, take those, your antioxidants outside of the window of before and after. You know, probably a couple hours before it. Probably more than that. You know, try to take them as completely opposite in the day mm. from your training times if you want to get good adaptations from your training yeah oh so, yeah so don't take your milk thistle like right before you train all right all right scott well we are we're about out of time then in this case uh we i know we had some more stuff we wanted to do maybe we could save that for the next episode and uh and and i was going to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on on me and my my current deloading situation, but I, I think we'll have to wait on both of those and I'll have to, uh, All right. I'll have to try to work on that on my own. Uh, I think, I, I think I've got it. Well, you, we don't have to do it on air, Scott. You can always just call me and we'll, we'll chat on dog walk or whatever. All right. I appreciate yeah. it. So, uh, and appreciate everybody here who's, uh, who's taking part here. We had some really good questions today. 
Um, are you are you training today, Scott? Are you already training? What do you have going on today? Today's an off day for training. I'm gonna. I don't. I was gonna help someone move some stuff around, but I think I'm just. I'm working on all those those projects that we uh, we chatted about. You got a lot going on Top too. Secret. Yes. Top secret projects. I get get ready the the Tampa pros this weekend, as you know. Oh yeah. So and my mom is coming down back to Florida just for a few planned. That's for her birthday, which is couple weeks from now but okay and i had no idea was when the tampa pro was so i'm like ah. so i'm gonna stay like through saturday morning and then i'm gonna drive right down so i'm gonna pack early and get ready okay okay uh, yeah i still don't know how they're gonna do it with the um the shows you've been going to have they been like limiting the audience at uh, the shows i i went to one show and uh, there was yeah. no limit to the audience but it was small it was in a tent so there was not a lot of people that showed up yeah in a tent. It was fun. We had like a picnic tent. I shot a video of it. It was the Michigan State Championships. I should. I'll send you a link to that on on Facebook. It was it was fun. We had a good time. They couldn't get a venue, I guess. It was like no. probably illegal. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't we couldn't have an indoor venue. We almost moved the Michigan State Championships to Ohio uh, so that we could hold it, mm-hmm. and then we ended up having it in a tent, and it worked out really well. And it was a beautiful day. The weather was perfect. Nice little cool. breeze, and yeah, nice sunny day. So yeah. it was good. Yeah. You know, I, I saw Ken's, I'll just mention this, and maybe Ken will see this, but I saw Ken's, he, his post with his injury and all that yeah. crazy, that just sucks. But I, I'm thinking, like, if 225 or 250 was, like, supposed to be kind of a max number that, that he mentioned for gatherings. Okay. The number you know anything about, but... I don't know anything about it there. The way the way they're doing the, the master, like, all of Gary Udit shows up there, he's spreading them out over, like, four days. Oh, okay. So here's the thing, though. I'm thinking, like... He, Gary's a smart guy. He's going to make shit happen, you know? Yeah. One way or another. And he hasn't canceled anything. But let's say you have, let's say it's just a thousand. We'll make it easy. You got a thousand competitors on a given day. Yeah. That's two or a thousand competitors for the entire um, show, all the divisions. Yeah. More than that. But even if it's twice that. So you got 500 that are going to compete on every day. You bring them through in waves. Yeah. You know, like you come in, like if you're, you know, bikini this class, you know, A's and B's, you show up at nine. You know, after you're done, you leave. You don't yeah. hang out back in the posing room or whatever. Like, you get the heck out of there. Yeah. And if it's 500, you got them spread out over four hours, something like that. Mm. You never have more than like 100, 150 people together at one time. Yeah. If, if you limit the audience. Right, right. So you just make it online, pay-per-view, whatever. Mm. But you can easily do that. Even that's a, Those shows are gigantic. But yeah. if you got got over four days now. So I think you can still do those shows. And I do suggest, I know they are doing a pay-per-view for the Tampa Pro. So I do suggest if you guys oh. are fans of bodybuilding, uh, I don't know what it costs, but if it's like 20, 25 bucks or something, uh, this is a great way for you to take part and watch and, um, and, you know, support bodybuilding too. So, you know, be worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah. We got to keep this going so that, so we have the Olympia. Yeah. Hopefully. Yes. Still. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Invest. Yes. 25 bucks is nothing. Yeah. I don't know. I made that number up. So. Oh. Like I said, if it's twenty five bucks or something, then you know it's worth it. Well, so if it's fifty, then you owe me twenty five because that's all I'm paying. You're <laughs> well, you're gonna hopefully you're be there. You'll hopefully be there live. Yeah. So yeah, if if I can, like if they're already bought yeah. out because of the limits, whatever. Scott's gonna hold his phone up and then he's gonna send that stream to me. You guys can pay ten dollars to watch the Tampa Pro off of Scott's phone, uh, and then you don't have to. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get a selfie cap and I'm just gonna like stick my phone on there. I'm not holding that shit up for like an hour. I'm oh, stick it no. yeah. Selfie cam. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And just yep, do it that way. There you go, guys. Go to uh, fortitude training.net. You can check out uh, byobbcoach.com. 
we'll have links uh, to um, Scott's book from the Amazon with our affiliate code. We also have, of course, our sponsor, TrueNutrition.com, our code advices. We have the Amazon and um, uh, what is it? GetAzoth.com for Azoth and links for all that uh, along with codes, guys. So, guys, thanks for watching another live feed with uh, Dr. Scott Stevenson. This is Muscle Minds. I'm Scott McNally. See you guys. Thanks for the question, guys. Appreciate it.